Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 258, recorded January 21st, 2017. 258? Who thought we would ever get this far? I, I certainly didn't. I was not a believer at first, but we're, we, we're, we continue to, to, to forge ahead. Yeah, we do. So today we get to do. Um, we're we're almost finished with the manga. So we we thought we would be finished this this episode, but we found out that there was one other story we hadn't finished. So we're breaking uh, the last two the last uh, four manga stories into this issue or this episode and next episode. So today right. we're finishing off the Kakani Shinko uh, right. book, and next week we'll finish up the Shinsi Shinsi. Right, so we're doing the last two stories from uh, both of those books over the next two episodes. And then we'll be done with Tokyo Pop. I think I had a good run. I've enjoyed most of these stories. Yeah. I mean, they've been a bit of a mixed bag, but for the most part, I, I have enjoyed them. Again, uh, all publishers kind of seem to be a mixed bag. Okay, but some are more mixed than <laughs> others. Right. <laughs> um, the lack of color is something to get used to. But I guess that's the style of the manga comics, right? Right. Um, yeah. Cool. Okay, so uh, shall we launch into story number four within Kikan Nishinku? Yes, let's. Okay. By, uh, by a famous uh, Star Trek author. Yes. Diane Duane. So this is... This uh, this is at least the second comic we've uh, read from Diane, um, although this is the first one I think for uh, the manga. Uh, I think the I'm other sorry. one wasn't manga, was it? I think that was like for DC or somebody. Yeah, I'm thinking. I was thinking it was DC too, but yeah, I don't know for sure. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, that comic was not one of my favorites, um, and this one is a little confusing, but it's interesting. And the title is called uh, Sea and Gate. And I may not be pronouncing that first word right, but I'm going with it, what I got. Okay, published date, September 2007. Um, the book wide, just reminding you of that, because, you know, we've uh, this has five stories to it, if you don't count the uh, strict text, one at the end, the sixth story at the end, which we're not. Um, so book-wide, lettering is done by Fawn Lau and Michael Paoli. Pa- Paolili. Cover design is Christian Lowndes. Cover art, Bettina Karaski. Production artist, Michael Paolili and Courtney Getter. Editor is Louis Reyes. Publisher is Mike Kiley. And this particular story, again, writer Diane Duane. Art by Don Hudson and Steve Salado. Um, also, the cover, which we've described in other episodes, but I'll, I'll do it again here. Uh, the cover is by uh, Bettina Kurowski, and it features Ahura prominently with her hand up to her left ear uh, over on the right. Then on the left, we have a much smaller grouping of uh, McCoy, Spock, McCoy and Spock standing around uh, Kirk, who is seated at the con. And then the Enterprise is uh, at the top of the cover. Kirk's log entry tells us the Enterprise crew is assigned to help two warring planets to enter into a delicate peace that should replace death and bloodshed with cooperation and mutual benefit. The first planet, populated by the Alstandit, are looking to the other planet's monarch to take over ruling them since the all-standard royal line has unfortunately ended recently. Aletheia is willing to do so, but its ruler must relocate to Allstand. The Enterprise will transport the Aletheian ruler to her new home on Allstand. 
In addition to the fragile truce between the two planets, there are space pirates, scavengers, and a vicious insectoid alien race called the Harst in the mix, just to keep things interesting. On board the Enterprise, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are about to enter the rec room that the Queen Apithia of Alethea has taken over for the duration of her trip to Allstand. Kirk is not happy about her presence on board, but when McCoy gets a look at her and she gets a look at him, there is a certain chemical reaction eliciting sparks. Kirk notices and assigns the good doctor to be the ship's liaison to the Queen. As McCoy and the Queen are left to get to know each other, she wants McCoy to do some day drinking with her, which McCoy turns down. He is on duty and all. McCoy is confronted by the Queen's pet lizard, which takes him by surprise and has him on the ground. It does not harm the doctor, but rather scampers away. After all, the thing's about the size of a chicken. But it is quite energetic. The Queen makes it clear she will never return to her home on Aletheia. She will live the rest of her life on Allstand. It makes her sad, but she seems to be taking it well. On the bridge, Kirk and Spock are assessing a ship that is on an intercept course with them. Sulu comments on the Aletheans controlling their space tightly, so odds are they know that ship is intercepting them. Kirk and Spock talk about the bigger game likely being played between the power brokers on both of the planets, uh, which until very recently have been warring worlds. Is the queen one of the first pawns being pushed out onto the board? Meanwhile, McCoy is taking the queen on a tour of the ship. It turns out she is a fan of science, so McCoy takes her down to engineering where Scotty joins them. Apathy's pet thirsk gets loose, just as battle stations are sounded. No time to get the beastie now. McCoy takes the queen out of engineering and back to her quarters. On the bridge, Spock is finding the three attacking ships' shields are effectively blocking his sensor probes and therefore frustrating his attempts to assess their weapons. Spock says the ships are not putting out as much power as he expected, which could mean they are over-equipped with weapons and shields and under-equipped in every other way to optimize their offensive capabilities. They begin their first attack run on the Enterprise. They attack in unison, and then break off, bringing the Enterprise's shields down to 80%. Spock conjectures their weapons may require time to recharge. Kirk orders pursuit course after the closest ship. He tells Sulu to take it out before it has a chance to fire again. The other two come around for another attack, but turn tail and run when the first ship is utterly destroyed by the Enterprise. Spock conjectures that the unusual readings recorded during the battle suggest the ships may use gravity management fields, which would be most unusual for humanoids. Kirk offers the ship may be Harst, since they are supposedly in the neighborhood and very much not humanoid. Kirk checks with McCoy, who reports only one crewman was injured, and it was minor. The queen is fine in her quarters. Later, Kirk's log records that they are a little more than two days away from Allstand. A ship from Allstand is to meet them and act as escort to bring them the rest of the way. McCoy returns the queen's pet to her. The queen admits her fear and trepidation concerning her new position. McCoy helps her by telling her the story of Helen of Troy. On the bridge, Spock's further analysis indicates, that, indicates a 98% chance the attacking ships are not harsed, which on the surface contradicts Spock's earlier analysis. Kirk points it out, and Spock admits it's a conundrum. Later, McCoy and Queen Apathy says they're good, say their goodbyes, but neither likes parting. Kirk and Spock speak to the Allsand ship's captain named Tyrene and makes preparations to beam across the Queen and her entourage. In the transporter room, Kirk suggests McCoy could beam across with the Queen to the Allstand ship. He does so and will contact the Enterprise when he is ready to come back. Not long after they arrive on the Allstand ship, 
the Queen's Thirsk gets away again and causes a mini-incident. Suddenly, both the Enterprise and the Allstand ships are attacked, but this time by many more of the same configuration ship as before. The Enterprise fights them off. McCoy realizes the Queen's pet Thirsk is actually a biologically engineered spy device that has learned much about the Enterprise and now the Allstand ship. McCoy confronts Apathe about this. She says she had no choice, and that the information about the Allstan technology was only to be used as leverage if they betrayed her people. McCoy asks, and what about the information gathered about the Enterprise? Knowledge of Federation technology fetches a high price and compromises he and his shipmates. She says she did not think it through. Her guilt is written across her face. The pain of her betrayal is written across McCoy's face. Injured Alsan crewmen McCoy triaged are taken to the infirmary. The Alsan captain reports the ships are coming around for another attack run, and shields are down. He tells McCoy to evacuate the Queen immediately. McCoy, Apathe, and the Thirsk beam to the Enterprise. When materialization is complete... Apathe is surprised to see the Thirsk is gone from her arms. She discovers Kirk and Scotty beam the Thirsk over to one of the attacking ships. Spock reports the readings taken by the artificial creature confirmed the attacking ships are all standit. Kirk states that explains why Captain Tyrene's aim was so poor during the attack. He did not want to hit his own ships. Kirk tells Queen Apathe to start her rule by firing her admirals and threatens to go public with her treachery. Kirk says the majority of the citizens of both planets seem to want Apathe as their queen, so that is what will happen, and Kirk will keep quiet about their schemes. The channel to Tyrene's ship is closed. Kirk congratulates McCoy for a job well done figuring out the true nature of the Thirsk but McCoy is not happy about how it all turned out. McCoy and the Queen enter the turbolift and leave the bridge. McCoy and the Queen say their goodbyes, and she beams down to her new throne room. Scotty tells McCoy that not every man who could be king would stay a commoner. McCoy says he's not every man. He's a doctor. Damn it. The end. He did not say damn it at the end. I know. I did. I just had <laughs> to. So, what'd you think? Confusion! <laughs> yeah, so they definitely, Diane definitely did not write this um, to the lowest common de- denominator because there's some stuff going on here that's like a little confusing. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I I agree with you. I was I was scratching my head a few times, and then when I thought I got it, you and I talked, and I just realized that uh, that I don't think I was right, and you weren't right. So yeah, <laughs> we were both wrong in aspects of our analysis to what the heck Diane was getting at. So it seems like we have. I, I think we agreed on this. So it seems like there's two sets of subterfuge going on, right? Right. Okay. So let's take a step back. Okay. She is from uh, the one planet. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Elysian she, or something like that. And both planets, the the common people, they want her to be queen of both planets to to stop the war and everything. So I just want to go over everybody's motivations here. So the people, let's just call them the people, because they keep saying that most people on both planets want her to be their joint queen. Do you agree with that? Uh, yes, but there are some people that, that don't want that to happen. They're the warmongers. You know. Right. All right. So the common people, they want her to be queen. Right. All right. And then there is – what's the name of her planet? I always forget. I always it's like a, a Athenian or Elysian or something like that. It begins with an E. Right. So what is her and her warmonger uh, people what, – what, what is their motivation and what is their goal? Okay, 
Okay, so it seems like the subterfuge there is they bioengineered this little um, chicken-sized lizard creature with, that she's basically uh, carrying around, um, you know, like a Yorkie or something. This is her little pet, la 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 la, and it's a lizard. And it's hyper, and apparently it gets out of her hands and is hard to catch. So, it's going around in engineering rooms of the Enter- Enterprise uh, in engineering areas of the Allstand ship, so the Allstand people are the are are the second planet. So that's where she's going to become queen, um, and it's gathering intel. And that seems to be a total play by the queen's home planet. Some people on the queen's home planet, and she's in on it. And she actually says, "It's you know we're doing that as part of a." Um, like for insurance. So in, clay, in case the all stands uh, actually do start up war again, we'll have tac- technical, tactical information about their uh, sh- their warships. That'll help us. Right. So that's her um, duplicity. And by the way, she's also right. got a bunch of information about the Enterprise. So bonus. But she didn't think that one through, Ken, so we can't count that's, that. That's what she says. <laughs> well, we can count it, maybe not as duplicity, but, you know, that's a side effect of what's going on here. All right, so I can get that. So she and her her followers, admirals, whatever, they still want the war. So they're spying just so that they could have leverage in case it goes back to war. So maybe they don't even really want the war to continue, but they don't necessarily trust the other people. So right. their thoughts are as long as we have information against them, they really can't start up another war. And if they do, we're going to be the ones that win. Yeah. We right. You agree with that? We'll have a tactical advantage. Right. Okay. All right. So I get their motivation and actually, you know, I don't agree with it because it's a little du- duplicitous, but at least it's understandable. You know, okay. they don't it trust make, these guys. It makes some sense. Right. Right. The motivations right, yeah. make sense. Now let's go with the other guys. What okay. was our consensus on, on on their on their acts and what their motivations for those said acts are? Right. Okay. So Spock states very clearly when he's reading the telemetry that's apparently being beamed back to the Enterprise from this Thursk. So they had apparently enough time to reprogram this thing, figure out how it works, reprogram it. And somehow get it so it can transmit information to the Enterprise, to Spock. Okay, fine. Let's just go with that. So, no, wait, hold on. Stop right there. Okay. I thought they, when they beamed back to the ship, they, they took it from her. They did. And, and they took the information then. Mm, okay, hold on. Let's get the order. Mm-hmm. She came back from the All-Stand ship with the creature. Okay. And the creature had information about the All-Stand ship and about the Enterprise, right? Right. Then... Between Spock and Scotty and whoever, they took the thing, they, and then they beamed it over to one of the attacking ships. So remember, nobody knows who the attacking ships are at this, you know, uh, are are from, right? Uh, apparently, they can't tell by the look of them, and they're not transmitting any kind of ID codes, and they've got some kind of uh, shields that are keeping sensors from getting too much information about them. So nobody knows who the attacking ships, uh, where they're from yet. Right? Okay. So they beam the little critter over there to figure out, you know, get through the shields, get on the ship, run around the ship, and, uh, you know, gather enough information that they think they can ID the these attacking ships. And indeed, it's amazing it happened so quickly, and Spock clearly says that they've got ID information on these ships, and they are all-stand ships. So they're ships that are from the new planet that the queen is going to to become their their queen. Mm. Also, the captain of this, uh, the captain of the ship that is going to take the queen the rest of the way to the uh, planet of all-stand. Okay, wow. Right? I, I, I totally missed that he beamed the little critter to one of the ships at the same time. I yeah. thought that he just took the, sh- the critter and was downloading it, but... What? But that wouldn't help you. It, you're right, it wouldn't. It wouldn't give any information on, on those ships. So Right. So within just the time of the beam out, 
they were able to reprogram it and send it to the this flying saucer ships. Yep. Yep. Impressive. Unless she was in uh, stasis, like like Scotty was in Relics. More uh, time passed that. Uh, I, I yeah maybe maybe and maybe they didn't have to reprogram it that much. I mean it already had the programming to run around and and gather information about technology. But they did have it where it would talk to them. I mean, it would transmit to Spock. You would think it would have some kind of security where it just wouldn't blabber to anybody. Uh, And they had a way where they could transfer data remotely, apparently. Right. Mm. Okay. Or at least they didn't say anything about beaming the critter back. Right. Yeah. So... Uh, now, in the end, they do get the critter back. She gets her critter back, but right. I think I think they said at the end uh, they wiped it of the you know wiped it from the information it had. Right, can't, can't have her without her little baby. Uh, right. Yes. Yes. All right. So I think it's it, that part makes sense. At least what Kirk and them did. Uh, what What I still don't understand is what the motivations for the uh, the new planet. Right. I mean, why were they? trying to get the um these little lizard guys that aren't even in the story aside from just talking about it but why are they trying to blame them for these attacks and what do they gain about okay um even doing the attacks because i don't think they ever thought that they had a chance to take out the enterprise they were just being an annoyance really Uh, yes they were weren't they um so these this is the was it harsk Harsk, yeah. Yeah, I think it's Harsk. So these guys just happen to be lizard people, too. I mean, even they have nothing to do with the little critter. Oh, yeah, right. But, okay, so, yeah, and I think I think the only reason they were brought into the, to the discussion, along with space pirates and things at the beginning, is to give a lot of possible origins of those mystery attacking ships. So, you know, kind of like a a magician kind of thing where you do Mm -hmm. something that's supposed to keep people's attention while the real magic is happening someplace else. Right. um, So it's a, uh, what do they call it, a a red herring maybe? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Because as near as we can tell, at the end of the story, the Harsk have nothing to do with anything. Harsk, absolutely agree with you. Harsk have nothing to do with it. But what... Again, what did the new planet get out of? I, you know, I don't know. Was this um, was this was were these factions on the new planet that didn't want peace? Um, right. That that did want to kill the queen. Uh, they did want to blow up the Enterprise, uh, but they couldn't do it because it turned out the Enterprise was just too good. Um, could they actually think they were a match for the Enterprise? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But but then when it's all said and done, I mean, she does go to the new planet, and it seems she does. Like at least the captain of the the new the new planet, he seems happy with it. It seems like that's what he was expecting and what he wanted. Well, um, yeah, he, but, he he he's not happy about being caught, right? But yeah, he seems okay with taking her the rest of the way. So I I don't know. Good question. The, the the motivations of the all stand people, at least the, the the people that the captain is in league with, don't know. Right, right. Yep. The, so I, I think we got pretty much everything out of it that we were supposed to get, except that part just still doesn't uh, still doesn't make a hundred percent sense to me. Right. And they were also talking a lot about um, faking sensor readings uh through use of the shields or something right uh they definitely did that on the attacking mystery ships and then there was a point where apparently they did that with the enterprise too to bait the attacking ships in again Ah, and i didn't get that part at all but so there's there's just multiple things in here that just seem muddy and uh, not particularly well 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 explained uh and i'm gonna go with that as opposed to we're dense right <laughs> which might be the case it might be the case I, I, i'm not gonna admit to it on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> right anyway 
All right. So um, one of the things that uh, that McCoy entertains the uh, the print the queen with is the uh, a, a kind of retelling of the uh, Lady of Troy, Helen of Troy, uh, yeah. and the whole Trojan horse thing. Right. So is that in here to kind of set up that this little lizard creature is kind of a Trojan horse that it's something that you accept into your ship. You think nothing of it. And then it's actually, you know, not going to have people jumping out and killing you, but uh, is kind of sabotaging you by spying on you and, and uh, getting information from, from you that you're not aware of. Yeah. Uh, definitely the idea of the little Thirsk being a Trojan horse is kind of an interesting way to look at it. I do agree with that. But but correct me if I'm wrong, Helen of Troy, the story of Helen of Troy, did did that have the Trojan horse in it? Or was that a separate story? Mm, yeah, I don't know. Is it a separate story? I thought that he actually brought it up. Oh, I he okay. brought it up when he was telling the story. Okay, but at but that time, at that time he was selling this, telling the story. There, you know, there was he didn't know what the thirst was. Exactly, that was my point. Right. So, um, I think it was more like, you know, there was a queen that um, was taken. There was a queen in the midst of um, the Trojan queen was brought to. I forgot the name of the other uh, city, but. Uh, her being there was actually cause of the cause of war. I mean, eventually, the fall of that city happened because they had Helen. Right. Um, anyway, so you know, it, it's almost like the the parallels they're drawing uh, aren't that great either, in my mm-hmm. opinion. But whatever. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so it, you know, it, it the most interesting thing about this the story is the fact that it made me think a lot, <laughs> just to try to keep it straight, <laughs> right? And really, other than that, it was it was an okay story. Um, I, I like the artwork. Uh, out of all the manga, this one kind of tried to look. As real as realistic or more realistic than most. More of the realistic, other yeah. I'll agree yeah. with more because McCoy does look pretty good in some some panels. Other panels, not so much. Sure. Uh, the one panel that I notice uh, Sulu in, it's pretty good drawing. Uh, it, it does look like George Takei. Um, yeah. And, and I thought the Queen often looked like um, Linda Carter. Ah. Like <laughs> season one. Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman. Uh, yeah, I mean, she, the thing is, uh, for the most part, she was drawn well. And yeah, Linda Carter, I could see that. Uh, especially with that headdress thing she's got on. Right. Maybe on her forehead. The, and, and the dark hair, maybe that's why right. I'm just like, Linda Carter. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but then there were some other panels where she looked kind of heavy. They drew her kind of heavy. So mm. it was like, in some cases, she's looking like a very attractive lady. Uh, and then there's one or two other ones where they've drawn her kind of uh, like a Weight Watchers person. But okay. anyway. Well, no, I, be consistent. That's, a, that's what I'm saying. Be consistent. Right. Okay. I agree. I, I, I see the panel that you're talking about, I think. Right. Anyway, uh, was there anything else? Um uh, not. I thought it was interesting that they had a lizard instead of like some little mammal or something being her pet. Right. So that was, that was kind of interesting. Different. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that when it attacked McCoy the first time, uh-huh. he says, how do I know if it likes me? And she says, De- depends on how many teeth it leaves inside you. Oh, is that uh, what she that, said? Was that supposed to be a joke? Because how many teeth to... she leaves in you? Oh, wow. Count how many teeth it's left in your in you after it's jumped away. That's what it says. So ah! it, since it didn't bite him, then that must mean that it liked him. Right, exactly. That's funny. Yeah, I did think it was funny that everybody seemed okay with this lizard kind of running around amok before, before I found out later that 
that was its intention to go unnoticed and right get all this information yeah no, overall, I really enjoyed this this book. It was just uh, some of the motivations still perplex me a little bit as yeah. to uh, why they were trying to continue the war and why were they trying to basically ruin the trade. You know, that was the whole thing. They were doing this because they wanted to um, increase their their trade outside of the system. Yep. And so there was why, some why risk that with uh, right. with a war? Economic benefits. Yes. Right. Economic benefits and to have peace, but right and and also this whole thing where the Allstand captain is in on the idea that these attacking ships are from his planet. I mean, the Enterprise is kicking some butt. I mean, the Enterprise kill, destroys utterly destroys at least three of those ships, and unless right. they were remote controlled ships or something, people are dying on there. So and. And the captain's continuing on with whatever, you know, this whole thing. And people are dying on his ships. People from his, odds are, his, uh, his planet. So mm-hmm. they must, they really did that for a reason. I mean, there was some strong motivations if you're sacrificing your people in this little stunt. Right. And I still don't 100% understand why they did it. <laughs> anyway. No, I'm with you. I agree. Okay. So. So if any – for the few people listening to this, if, if you do understand this uh, – and Brian will probably be the first one to, to chime in on this. But uh, yeah, just go to the site and you know, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> send us, Post send something. us an email. Post something. Send us an email. Yeah, that would be good. Anyway. That's all I'd say right. about this one. Yep, same here. Okay. So ready to move on to our last story for today? Let's do it. All right, this one's entitled uh, Forging Alliances. Um, the writer is Paul Benjamin, and the artist is Stephen Cummings. So the story starts with Kirk and McCoy uh, being allowed to join Spock on Vulcan during a ceremony to celebrate Surak's birth. Um, Surak obviously being the one that brought logic to the Vulcan people. During the ceremony, the Vulcans are attacked by a band of wild Limantas. Several Vulcans are bitten by the poisonous tiger creatures. Amongst the attacking creatures is a feral Vulcan boy, who is biting anyone he can as well. When Kirk shoots one of the large cats, the boy falls to the ground and screams in pain as if he was the one that got shot, while the remaining cats all run away. McCoy tries to work on some of the injured Vulcans, and his efforts are refuted with a more with a more edgy than normal Spock. Later in the hospital, McCoy offers to help a Vulcan named Dr. Sasik in looking at the wild boy. Sasik is very rude, even for Vulcan standards, and Spock literally yells at the human doctor for being stupid. Kirk tries to calm everyone down when Dr. Sasik also goes on a yelling spree. In the midst of this huge yelling fight, the boy's father has been summoned, and he joins in on all the yelling. All very odd coming from Vulcans. Once the yelling starts turning into violence against each other, Kirk is forced to stun both the father and Dr. Sasik. Spock nerve pinches Kirk, and then McCoy uses a hypo on Spock. Left alone, McCoy tries to scan the boy to find out what is happening. While McCoy is working in the lab, a mob of angry Vulcans start to amass outside the hospital, and they're trying to get in. McCoy blocks the doors and windows and everything, uh, you know, Night of the Living Dead style with, with bookshelves and things, but he knows, he knows it's not going to hold. Still unable to find out how the boy is causing all these changes in Vulcans, McCoy wakes up Spock for some help. Spock wakes up mad, but he's able to function and give some help. Kirk eventually wakes up, and he mans the door to try to keep it closed. Spock speculates that the boy is able to use his telepathic powers to actually project anger. His DNA has been changed at some point, perhaps because he was cared for by a wild Lamanta. Just as the mob is breaking in, McCoy uses a compound in a hypo to suppress the boy's telepathic powers. With that, everybody returns to normal. 
Once the dust has settled, the father further explains that the boy was about to die when he was a baby because his mother also passed away. And in order to save the baby's life, he performed some experiments, um, and it looks like somehow he mixed the DNA of a Lamanta along with the baby, and the uh, outcome was that the baby had uh, increased telepathic powers more than a normal Vulcan would have. So, long story short, the boy will continue to take the suppression compound, and all is returned back to normal on the planet Vulcan. With the crisis averted, McCoy and Kirk are able to fully join in the ceremony for Sarek, for Surak, almost as if they were honorary Vulcans. The end. Wow. Okay. So... Even though they were on Vulcan, again, uh, there was some great action uh, in this story, which I really – that's the part I enjoyed most about this story. So, you know, in the original um, Amok time, you know, they had the fight you know, with the uh, Lyrpas or whatever. Right. And, and that was, you know, that was kind of cool. I mean, you have a very in-control place. I mean, Vulcan, come on. It has to be the most in-control place in the world. Or in the, in the galaxy, and then you end up seeing examples of people losing control, um, especially. Okay, so they're at the the very in control ceremony, right? A Vulcan ceremony, a whole bunch of Vulcans standing around. You think it'd be incredibly in control, and then all of a sudden, bam! It turns into a life and death struggle against these uh, Lamatias or whatever the heck these things are called, right? Um, and then. The idea that the Lamachia's bite has poison in it, that's basically a death sentence. I mean, that was cool. I love that. So it went from being in an in-control situation into being a totally out-of-control situation. And then we get to see that again in the hospital, which is even more over the top. I loved it. So you got Spock and the other two Vulcans in a hospital, which you expect to be a safe place, an in-control place or something like that, and the Vulcans lose control and, you know, almost, those, they're super strong. They could easily have killed Kirk and McCoy. Um, right. Yeah, and, that fight should have been much more one-sided than it ended up being. Exactly. And then the look on Spock's face, uh, and he says, finally? Okay, so... As you were describing, you've got uh, the two Vulcans, the, the doctor, the female doctor, and then the science doctor, who is the father of the kid, who are both in there. And they're double-teaming McCoy, basically calling him an idiot and stuff like that. And she finally lays hands, uh, the, the female medical doctor, finally lays hands on McCoy very violently. It looks like she's almost ready to poke his eye out. And then Spock comes up behind her like, finally. And he grabs her by the back of the neck, pulls her away, and throws her against the wall. I mean, he is loving it. He, he has an excuse to kick the crap out of this, uh, this lady. And, uh, then he and the other the guy. Yeah. And the father. And he should. Because the father and the female doctor are about to kick the crap out of McCoy. Um, and like, it's, oh, an excuse for me to, to, you know, to go nutso on these guys and kick the kick the the crap out of them. The look on Spock's face is priceless. I think the artwork was great in that respect. Right. Uh, and then he's got his like in the middle of the fight, Spock's eyes are like bulging out of his head, uh, and he is he is a berserker. Anyway, I love those right. parts. And the only reason why he attacks Kirk is because when Kirk eventually does stun the two other Vulcans, yes. he, he's. He's like, that was my fight. Exactly. Now take it out on on Kirk. You're ruining my fun. Yeah, no, I thought it was interesting how 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 Kirk how Spock was. You know, he would just attack anybody he could. Any right. any excuse he could. Right. Yeah, and he was about to. He would. You know, if the good doctor's hypo was not ready to take Spock down in the end, he was about ready to beat the tar out of the uh, unconscious Kirk. Right. I mean, he, he neck-pinched him, and he still had Kirk with, in one hand, and he's getting back, you know, ready to punch Kirk, uh, the unconscious Kirk again. It's like, wow. Anyway, 
Loved it. And then I also liked the, I mean, I love Night of the Living Dead, one of my favorite movies. Uh-huh. Um, and I loved the, the angry mob outside. But, but to think that they're the super strong Vulcans made it even more exciting that, that he knew that this little door wasn't going to hold. And then he's like right. pushing bookshelves and stuff there. Yep. I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of that Enterprise episode, the ship full of zombie uh, Vulcans. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to rewatch. I'm gonna have to rewatch a lot of Enterprise. I I, I think I've only seen them all once. So mm. uh, out of all the Star Treks, it's my least watched. Interesting. Well, you know, it's one of your favorites, though. I loved it. I, I when it was on, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, me too. But it does. It's not on reruns, you know. Back in the day, you would watch the Star Trek Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, right. and Voyager reruns when they came on late at night. But to my knowledge, I never saw Enterprise, you know, late night rerun type situation. Is it, is it on Netflix at all? Yeah, it's there. Okay, well, there you go. You can watch it all you like. I could. Well, you you have Netflix, right? When am I going to find the time to do it? Yeah. I got the DVDs, too. It's not like I don't <laughs> have access to the shows. <laughs> well, okay, so the reruns are really not much of a factor for you. Well, I'm just saying, I've watched all those other ones because, you know, you'd be flipping the channels and like, oh, Star Trek, I'll watch this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Whereas you, I never had that opportunity with, with Enterprise. Right. Okay. My my TV viewing habits changed, uh, you know, in between the time that show was on and now. Okay. Don't do a lot of TV flipping at all, really, anymore. I, I hardly ever watch normal TV anymore. I mean, ch- channel surfing, I almost never do it. Right. I don't think it, that's a dying that, that's a dying art because now with wow. DVRs and everything, who, who who would do that? Well, okay, but some people like that. I mean, my wife, uh, my wife's got her DVR thing going, so she does do that. But she just loves channel surfing, huh. and so oh look, Jaws is on. Okay, so she'll she'll sit down and watch Jaws, and it's like, well, that's not even a high def channel. I mean, you've got high def Jaws on the Apple TV, you know. You know, because uh, it's available. She could watch it whenever she wants. No. No, <laughs> no. I, I, I like it when they broadcast it. Okay. Okay, fine. And I like watching it, you know, halfway through because that's when I found it. Exactly. When I was channel <laughs> So some people aren't quite – some people like the traditional TV um, model, mm. channel surfing. Definitely my father does. Um and they haven't really made that transition to basically on-demand viewing. You think about what you want to watch. Eh, I'm kind of in an enterprise mood. And then just go to Netflix or wherever and, you know, watch it. You know? Pick your favorite episode. Or, you know, I like season... I like the last season better than any of the other ones. I'm going to go for season three. That is so handy. I, yeah. Anyway. I, I don't need other people to program for me. Is the, it... I, th- I think you are in a similar situation. I am in a similar situation. Yeah. But I didn't used to be. Yep. All right. So about this issue, um, I like the cats. Uh, I know that they were referenced in the original series, and we saw them in the cartoon. Yes. And we saw them in Enterprise. Yep. The anime series. Um, I didn't know that they – I didn't know that their bite was that poisonous, though. I didn't remember that. Myself, but I'm sure that was something they made a big point out of, especially probably in the animated series when Spock was doing the coming of age thing. Right, exactly. So um, here's the here's the few things that I didn't like about the show and I th- or the episode and issue that I thought was maybe a little redundant or rehash things that that uh, had already been done. Uh, one was the. Um, just the the something you know causing people to uh lose their minds right Right. so we've kind of seen it once already in the manga itself there was that bandai one oh that thing the little teddy bear that did it and then there was the there was one of the peter pan ones that was almost the exact same story uh where there was a little i think that one actually looked like a cat uh, that was going around the Enterprise, you know, making everybody angry, and I think that one was more anger, and then then then, then the Bandai one was more 
just whatever your emotion was, love or no, whatever its emotion was. So if right. it was happy, everybody was happy. If it was angry, everybody was angry. Right. So I don't know. I just thought that, okay, here's another little thing. You know, this is a little boy versus a little cuddly cat or whatever that's mm-hmm. causing all these uh, crazy emotions. So I thought that was a little redundant. We've already seen that a couple of times. Right. And then uh, obviously the little boy's almost like Tarzan or Mowgli kind of thing, being raised raised by cats, wolves or whatever. So I thought I thought that I, I actually like that one. That one's gonna be on my I, I like side. Right. But uh, the 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 doctor, the the dad, him experimenting on him when he was a kid just reminded me too much of the Ang Lee Hulk movie where uh, Nick Nolte's David Banner. Right. Uh, had experimented on Bruce when he was a little baby. Or actually, no, he experimented on himself that then got transmitted to the baby, but then he experimented more on the baby uh, before he got put in jail. Right. So, anyways, I didn't really care for uh, rehashing that one because it wasn't that good in the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, why rehash it here? Okay, yeah. So, that's it. Yeah, I thought there was a little bit of rehashing with a mock time. Uh, just a little bit in the idea that, you know, it's a ceremony, it's on Vulcan, it's all very a much very much a mystery to the humans. Right. And then all of a sudden, uh unexpectedly, there ends up being a life and death uh fight on the ever in control uh Vulcan. So you know, there's a little bit of I kinda recognize that from a mock time in this a little bit too. But um, I still enjoyed it. Oh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, none of those things, none of those nits that I, I just mentioned caused me to not enjoy the book. I, I thought this one is maybe the one of the better manga ones that, that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, definitely better than the first one we did. <laughs> it's, right. It's pretty good. Um, it was just a streamlined action story. It, it, it was just you, – you had, you had a mystery – and go with it, and, and right. it didn't have a lot of uh, questioning people's motivations or any cutesy stuff like a lot of the other manga stuff kind of right. throws in there. Right. I thought the artwork was very good, although they really didn't feel very bound by the looks of the original actors, <laughs> which didn't. is fine, which is fine. Um, I mean, quite frankly, some of the looks... Uh, over-the-top emotional looks of Spock when he was going berserk. Um, it it very much did not look like <laughs> like like Nimoy, um, and maybe that was good. I mean, the over-the-top emotion really. I think the artist did a great job. I said this before, but um, it wasn't it wasn't a Nimoy look, and it and McCoy didn't really look much like DeForest Kelly and Kirk. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't look anything like like uh, the Shat. I can't think of a single panel where anybody actually looked like any of the uh, actors. Right. But it again, it didn't it didn't take away anything from me. No, no, it did at first, but then I quickly got over it. I mean, right. especially when I first see Kirk. Um, he is too young looking. Uh, he's got no neck. Or I should just say he's got a huge neck. And um, and actually, it looks a lot more like Pine than it does look like uh, like Shatner. Yeah, um, I can see that. He's got that pretty boy face. He's got a pre- very pretty boy face with very light eyes. Um, also, I wasn't too – there were like two parts where uh, Kirk and McCoy are sharing like a joke at Spock's expense or something. And the first time they do that on, on, well, page 154, which is like the second or maybe the third page of the story, um, uh, the, the way they drew it was a little over the top. You know, like, like, like Kirk is kind of like elbowing McCoy and McCoy's kind of leaning back with his arms folded and, uh, you know, it looks like oh, Ar- yeah. Archie and Jughead or something. <laughs> and... Uh, Anyway, I thought that was a little bit over the top. And then they do it again later, although not as bad. Yeah, they do it at the last page, too. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, I think I would hold back on the the ribbing of McCoy, of Spock. <laughs> he almost takes your head off. Yes. Yeah. While saying, "You're always making fun of me. You're always calling me green blooded Vulcan." Uh huh. <laughs> Spock smash. <laughs> exactly. Spock Hulk. That's what he was. So as far as artwork, uh, the the only thing that really threw me off several times was I've never seen a blonde Vulcan yet. Here, there's quite a few of them. Like the the doctor, she's seems to be blonde. Uh, yeah. The boy's blonde. The boy's father seems to be maybe a little darker haired, but but not the uh, the traditional black hair that I'm used to seeing right. on Vulcans. So and Sarek. So is Sarek supposed to be gray? Is that what they're saying? Yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so the thing about the black and white comics, it's like you got black hair or you got blonde hair, and there's nothing in between. You know, right. there's no brown, there's no salt and pepper. You're either stark blonde or you're black haired. Right. Which I guess is a, a function of the black and white uh, nature of the books. Hey. What else you got? Um, really nothing. That's, that's about it. I enjoyed this one. Um, the first one I enjoyed, but not as much. And, um, I have nothing to say about Kikani Shinku. Well, I have one more thing to say. Yes. And that's at the end of the book, there was, a a, a two pages of, of the um, comics, a David Riddick. I don't know who that is, but uh, I guess he writes. Some little maybe web comics or something, right? Um, but uh, there was two two stories from a series called the Red Shirts and yep. two two stories from one called the Trek Life. So the the Red Shirts were just uh, basically these two Red Shirts that uh, are are making fun of the idea that every time one of their red shirted brethrens go out on an away mission, they don't come back. So that was kind of funny. Yeah. And then the Trek life was just, uh, you know, normal Trekkies uh, and and how we deal with real life. So one of the jokes I thought was funny was this one guy's like, you know what I like best about Star Trek? And then one's like, oh. <sighs> you know, how it how it makes us think about uh, our our own faults in a scientific sci-fi way. And, and then he's like, oh, well, I was going to say miniskirts, but. You know, oh yeah, shallow. So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, and I like and then, the oh, yeah, I like ahead. the other one that's doing the. Uh, what I love about the original Star Trek is the look, the feel, the sound, and then and then they're what they're talking about is basic, or what he's talking about is he's basically watching it on VHS, right? Which looks bad. And then the girl Trekkie is that supposed to be Spock's head or a treble? Exactly, because it's so <laughs> low res, it's hard to tell. Now, now, I've watched VHSs recently, and oh, they're not that bad. I lived, I lived on VHSs. I had an amazing VHS collection. Right. Um, but then, when you go back and look at them now, uh, no, Donovan, they're horrible. Especially, <laughs> especially when the tape starts getting old. You know, uh, they're only right. supposed to last like ten years or so, ten or ten or twelve years, and Is then, right? and then the magnetic particles on the on the tape. Start to break down, and uh, yeah. Do you have any VHS tapes now? Oh, I got a ton. Have you? How old are they? Uh, from the beginning. Okay, so have you? Have you? I oh my god! So have you actually long. tried watching them lately? I did watch one not too terribly long ago because okay. uh, it's a movie that does not get a lot of love and has not never made it to DVD. Oh, okay. So it looked okay. Uh well, I mean, I mean, was it tracking could, okay? Could, did you get I a bunch tell, of lines in it? <laughs> I could tell what it was a head and what was a tribble. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's bad compared to what we're used to now. But uh, it was wow. better than not watching it at all. Well, about uh, like maybe ten years or so ago, I started looking at some of my my ones like when I was like in high school and college, and they. They really didn't work. Oh, they didn't work at all? Not at all. I mean, well, it, it kind of played a little bit, but it was horrible. So right. uh, they're all in the garbage. They're gone. Bye. <laughs> they're gone. 
I think we have one VHS uh, deck in the house and really almost no tapes to play in it. Right. Well, yeah, that's good. Bad. That's good that you've you still got the uh, you still got the VHS. That's great. Yeah. Another thing I recently threw out because we're getting ready to move is an old shoebox that's loaded with audio cassettes that are all like old uh, recordings of Star Trek to episodes and and other TV shows. Right. So it was like, oh man, look at this! Right in the garbage. <laughs> it was great memories for about five minutes until I realized I don't even have anything to play this with anymore. Garbage. Right. No, I, I have a similar collection of VHS or not VHS um, audio tapes, but it's all like um, the uh, audio books and stuff that I bought. Oh, back yeah. In the day. Right, right. So a bunch of Star Wars, Star mm-hmm. Trek. Yep. So I think I got most of it digitally now, but good. I think there's still a few that uh, that I haven't repurchased. Right. But I'm sure it sounds like junk. Yeah, yeah, it's not that good. Anyway. So, anyways, those are those are cute little little videos or not videos, but cute little cartoons, comics at the end of the at the end of the book. Yeah, it's it's a nice little extra, nice little bonus at the end. It only takes up two pages. Right. Um, and there's two comics each, so it's it's a comic strip thing. It's, it's right. Nice. Yeah, I might I might try to look up online to see if I mean if this was literally the only two little stories he did, or if that's from a series that he has online or something. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it if it's a a much bigger series. Right. Okay. Uh, all right. So next week we are doing uh, what again, Ken? Uh, next week we're doing the last two, uh, was it uh, Shinsu Shinsu? Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, 259, we're doing Shinsei Shinsei, uh, stories four and five. The last two in, 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 the, in that book. Yes, which ironically is the first of the manga books that came out. <laughs> Interesting point. The one we did today is the second one. Right, so. so we're not necessarily going in order. <laughs> in all kinds of weird order, but uh, exactly. But they they have no relationship to each other, so doesn't no. matter. I mean, it's, it's not continuing a story thread or anything. No, we read the first three books of um, that Senshi Senshi way back in episode forty nine. Ken, oh my gosh, not one hundred and forty nine, not two hundred and forty nine, but the original forty nine. Yeah, and. I the first story, which is like a Borg kind of story, um, I when I was first looking at this again, as we were gearing up to do to do this book uh, or finish it up, I did not remember reading it. <laughs> it was new to you. It it was all new to me again. So there you go. Um, I guess aging and uh, memory problems can have benefits too. <laughs> So you know what that means, Ken, is that what? once we finish every Star Trek comic ever... I can read them all again? We could just start over. <laughs> all right. It's been well, five years. Let's go again. Uh, no! Um, no. Um, <laughs> actually, most of the stories I remember pretty well. But for whatever reason, I, I guess maybe I wasn't that impressed with that story. I don't know, but... All that board uh, one is good. I, I just didn't remember it. Hmm. All right. Well, until until we get back next week, uh, maybe you might want to reread it, and, and we can talk about it again next week okay. as we as we wrap up Tokyo Pop's manga Star Trek series. Excellent, excellent. Well, looking forward to reading it next week and discussing it next week. So, uh, thanks for joining us, everybody, on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.